So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. Today we're going to give a review of our bubble bursting with the Cardiff match. Look forward to the Castro match next weekend. Talk about change of position of Carl Cooper. Give a roundup of the other European results. Chat about our European memories over the years. And then finally we're going to finish up with the World Cup draw. If you'd like to get in contact with us as always you've got the social media... Yep, so it still is as before, of course. So on Facebook, again, just simply search for us for at Folk on Falcons. Um, you'll see our lovely mugs in the picture. And on Twitter, it's exactly the same. So, of course, it's at Folk on Falcons. And if you'd like to send us an email, it's simply Folk on Falcons at mail.com. Thank you, Ian. So, without further ado, let's move on to our defeat to Cardiff Blues on Friday night at Kingston Park. Started off okay, didn't finish so well. What's your general overview, Ian? Uh, well, that pretty much summed it up, really, didn't it? Um, first half, I thought we were actually really good considering the team we had out, which was experimental, young, inexperienced. And went into half time, and you really thought they did a really good job. Um, I thought, apart from spells where yes Cardiff had a lot of territory in possession they mentioned a lot on the t- on the BT commentary didn't really do much with it um I thought when we did get in that 22 we were looked very effective we were very clinical defended really well I thought actually in many ways that was the most pleasing aspect that there seems to be this kind of defensive structure and really good sort of defensive process that I presumably Nick Easter has put in throughout the club so it seemed to be no matter what the personnel is the defense was solid and i think that was really pleasing going into half time that that seemed to be the case uh second half it really was a tale of two halves wasn't it i think the difference was they just had that little bit of quality in the personnel um i think when amos got that really good try with the uh up and under kick i think in many ways that sort of signaled beginning of the end um never really sort of recovered from that because at that stage the onus was to really go and attack and I just thought that we looked rusty there wasn't really much clicking didn't really seem to work um, again that's why personnel change and the fact that a lot of those players probably haven't really played sort of competitively if you can call the Ealing match competitive well yeah competitively since then so you could really tell that there were didn't quite work um, and I think that kind of played the card in hand especially as they were so strong in the set piece especially at the scrum and they were really disrupting our line outs which I suppose to our credit we still managed to win um, but the Cardiff were very, very strong in that area. And it, it, you knew that when we did get into areas, it just, you know, you kind of get that feeling. It just wasn't going to work. We didn't have players like, you know, like your Burrells that we've had in the league who can make those hard yards. Um, I know Blemeyer did it very well, but, you know, you can't expect him to do everything all night, especially, of course, when he got substituted. And it seemed to be the only way we would get back in the game is if we pulled Never Rabbit out of the hat, which we sort of did about tries in the first half. And it just never really materialised. And I think as the game wore on, even though we did get within four points, it just never looked like we were really going to win it, I think. Yeah, it's interesting that um, both our scores came from quite far out. Um, we've been used to the season of bashing it over from a few yards out. The first one came after... Blemeyer's barnstorming run from halfway, quick setup, jump in the corner. And the second one was actually quite a nice quick line out that was taken and good line, uh, good line cut by Alex Tate and then getting the pass away and dashing down in the corner. Apart from that, I don't think we looked that incisive at all during the whole 80 minutes. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, it, it was just a couple of sort of moments, wasn't it? Um, which, to be fair, is what really what Cardiff mustered. But you always kind of had the impression that especially when... 
they got the push on in the lineup, for example, for their penalty try at the end, they were always going to be really dangerous in that area. In and in this particular match, we just weren't because of the personnel, really, wasn't it? Yeah, um, we were very much playing a, a second fifteen. Form to a better term. There are a couple of familiar faces and names, but on on the whole, they were players that hadn't necessarily played at Premiership level or even European level before. So, yeah, I think it's it's not a surprise that they didn't necessarily perform to the standards we've seen from the rest of the team. But we always said it was going to be um, not the priority this year, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, having said that, I still think it's a bit disappointing because it was a game very much there for the taking, and I think it would have been a really good scalp as well. Um, certainly going in the half time, I think the confidence was there that we could win it. Um, certainly if we replicated the first half performance in the second, I think we probably would have, despite a couple of moments of brilliance from Cardiff. So, yeah, I think it's more sort of disappointment. I don't think anyone's really going to lose sleep over it. But um, especially as the fact that I believe the top eight in the competition go for anyway. So even if you lose a couple of games, you still have a chance of qualifying for the next round. Um, I think it's more just a case of it's a bit disappointing that we couldn't string several wins together um, and sort of get that momentum going throughout the club going into that Leicester game, even though, of course, it's a different competition. There'll be very different personnel. Yeah, I think you've got to win basically one and a half games out of your four to, to make it through on looking at the laws of averages, which then puts you against the best knocked out Heineken Cup member, but you're still through to the next round. So I think if we want to say, can we win one and a half out of our remaining two, I mean, three games? Yeah, probably. Fingers crossed. Um, In terms of Cardiff's team, was that a full-strength squad that they were playing or was that also very weakened? I think it was very close. They had a lot of Wales internationals back in in their team starting, actually, not just in the squad. Um, So I have... As far as I'm aware, I mean, I'm not going to say pretend I'm an expert in in Cardiff and I didn't watch their, you know, their players every week. But in the match build-up and looking at the reaction to the squads, um, it did seem pretty close to first strength. Certainly a lot more full strength than our full strength is anyway. Which I guess we can take heart from because if if we decide we want to progress in this competition, we could always play a much stronger squad in the return fixture and hopefully consequently get the result that we know we can manage. Um, in terms of decision-making, about seven or eight minutes from the end, we were about eight or nine points down, and we got a penalty probably about 40 yards out, and we went for the posts. Um, do you think that was the right decision? I'd have probably gone for the corner if I was calling the shots, but it's one of those ones where different people prefer to do it penalty then try, or try then penalty or drop goal. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm always get the try as soon as possible and then worry about the drop goal at the end. Um, I think it actually was the right decision because the way we were you have to look at the two sides of it. On one hand, we were kicking. In terms of our place kicking was really good that night. Um, but our set piece, you know, in terms of line out, the mall just wasn't very strong at all. So if you have points on offer and you, there's a decent amount of time left, you take them. Obviously, you run the risk of the fact that, yes, you've got to go down the other end and get a try. It was still a four-point deficit. But the point is you have the points on the board. You sort of get the momentum swinging back into your favour and, you know, it, it, it kind of preys in Cardiff's minds, well, one mistake could lead to us losing the game. I think it was the right call, as I say, taking both, all those factors in consideration. But, you know, it, it's a risk. Uh, I don't think they were confident. I don't think watching it, anyone would be confident that if they go, did go for the corner, that they would have managed to, you know, drive Cardiff over or managed to generate anything from really. So I think in the circumstances, it probably was the right call. Yeah, um, you mentioned that we had a uh, good night with the boot. I think Joel Hodgson got all of his kicks and a couple of them, especially the conversion from the tries, were not straightforward at all and he slotted them with a plum. Um, I feel that in open play it wasn't really fair to judge him as having a good or a bad match because 
the players around him weren't the calibre that really let someone like that show everything they've got. But I, I feel that he certainly held his own. Yeah, yeah. Hobson was performed well. I mean, even though we'd lost and the second half wasn't great, there was a lot of players out there who I think can hold their heads pretty high considering the opposition and they're thrown into a, a sort of clobber together team that hasn't played a lot together and hasn't put a lot of minutes on the pitch this season. Um, so I, I think a lot of them can take heart. There were a couple of performances which I think were under par, um, but generally there are a lot of standout individuals. For example, uh, we mentioned before Blamire barnstorming run, brilliant carries, really good every minute he was on the pitch uh, and even one man of the match even though he didn't play the full game and was and was actually on the losing side which is unusual to see actually yeah on him I feel in the loose he looked he looked really good he, he was almost a bit like an open side flanker at times the way he was getting around the park and running off the ball and all the rest of it and defensively I think he put in quite a good shift. Um set pieces weren't the best but you can't always blame a hooker for that um, they were very very competitive in the lineouts and also front rows and the scrums they they were probably had the edge on us and you can't blame a hooker for that so much either but um, yeah I was, I was quite impressed with them overall I also thought that um, Sam Stewart had a good match obviously he got the try as well which is always nice um, yeah he managed to uh, get around the park well he got some very quick ball which I like to see as well quite often over the last few years we've had quite slow ball at the breakdown yeah, as you say, putting a good solid performance. Uh, I think you never mentioned it's the good it's the war horse, Matthew Tate. Um Matthew who, Tate? Do you mean Alex uh, Tate? Alex <laughs> Tate, sorry, really bit even older. Alex Tate was uh, I thought was excellent during that. I mean his first I think did he play against Healy? I'm not sure. Maybe no, no, we, we mentioned last week. Where is he? We haven't seen him. Is he still around? Yeah, so yeah, it was well. his first consecutive minutes, wasn't it, all, all season. Didn't really put a foot wrong. I thought it was really good. Good carries was good under the ball. Kicking was good. So, I mean, in terms of a complete full-back performance, I think it was it was up there. Couldn't really ask for much more, considering, as as we said, he hasn't really played. Yeah, well, he hasn't played at all this season. So, I think a special mention should go to him. Yeah, definitely. Um, two things that um, I'd like to mention. The first is just the really annoying music again. It started, there were times when... The scrum would go down, there'd be a kick from the penalty to the corner and they got the blaring tunes before the line-out. Just infuriating. Stop it, please. Newcastle Falcons, if you're listening, stop playing the music. No one wants it. There's not really fans on the ground. Just stop. Yeah, I don't know if there's like a... a and it's sort of an automatic electronic process where if the ball goes out of touch, there's a sensor goes off and the music plays. Because surely if you there's no there's not a man sitting there pressing a button when nobody's there. Surely, or at least I would like to think so. I, I think unfortunately there probably is. It's probably the same guy who's giving it hundred and ten percent announcing the uh, lineups, the scores, the substitutions. But um yeah, I don't know. It's almost as bad as seeing Shane Williams pop up on his screen halfway through the match when there's a break in play. Yeah, I'm not sure what was going on with that. But actually, I mentioned it. I think that there was a, a they did blare out as the players were on the pitch, you know, North Sand, East Sand, South Sand, West Sand, <laughs> give, give it up for your Newcastle Falcons or whatever it was. And, and of course, nobody there. So Actually, yeah. um, was was your um, Shane Williams speaking English or Welsh? Because I was watching it on SP4C, so it was even less worthwhile having his living room uh, broadcast into my living room. But was he saying anything worthwhile in English? Well, well either, I don't think you're saying anything. It just sort of sat there. It was almost like he was. It was almost like he he was preparing to be on video, but wasn't supposed to be on video at that point. Or I, I don't know. It was odd. He was just sort of sitting there, just watching the match, almost like 
you know, man, he was in business. Suddenly he was on TV. I didn't even know if he was away. He was on TV. It was very odd. And then he did it a couple of times, didn't they? I'm not quite sure what the Maybe they messed that up. was. Because in S4C, um, I presume it was a question asked. And then you got a monologue from Shane Williams in reply during a break and play. And then they went back to footage. So it might have just been that um, the producers or whoever were getting their wires crossed. But yeah, a bit odd. And then the second thing I'd like to discuss is... Kyle Cooper's gone from being probably one of our best players at hooker and arguably one of the best hookers in the league a couple of years ago when we got relegated to now being a converted tighthead prop who seems to be all right. But why is he now a tighthead prop? Um, well, I think we can speculate, really. Uh, it could be the fact that we do have a couple of younger, very good hookers coming through in McGuigan and Blamire. And the idea is that, well, we want those two players to play and you're not really going to get much of a chance at hooker. Um, can you be prop? And he may, he may be fine with that, or he may feel that his, the best way he can suit the squad is, is to play at prop. Maybe he sees that he, he can't really get much of a chance at hooker anymore, but it's an odd one. Uh, he's obviously been asked, you would have thought to, to play prop and he's obviously got along with it. And I, I you know, you just don't know uh, if, if he sort of, if, or even he could have made that suggestion. I don't know, but it is an odd one, isn't it? Uh, I suppose only time will tell it if it really works or not. And I suppose it's also odd that he's gone tight head because normally, at least he was going tight head in that match because tight head usually is a little bit more specialised and usually they're a bit bigger than loose head. And he's not he's not a tall guy by any stretch. Of course, he was he's a hooker. Um, so I thought it was odd for him to go tight head, but experiment. I suppose we'll see if it works or not. I know he didn't play a great deal at Exeter last year, but it's almost like he's been sent away to one of the best clubs in the league and he comes back and never plays hooker again. Um, I, I, wonder, I can't think it's an injury because I can't think of any injuries that would prevent you playing hooker but would allow you to play tight head. It, it is just a really strange one because if he's South African. It's not like he's got any allegiance to the region other than he's lived here a few years. I'm not sure if he's got a wife or family or whatever. But um, you'd think that he might consider playing for a different club elsewhere. You know, as we've said, it can only be that he's been asked to play in that position. Uh, I think it would have been odd if he'd requested to play there because of any injury or even perhaps out of uh, competition in position. Because I would have thought as a professional player, you you want to you know be the best in your position. But yeah, I mean, we can only speculate. Again, we'll just see how it turns out. I think really. Moving on to next week, we've got Castro. It's a really weird kickoff time. It's five thirty on Friday evening. Um, it's in France, so obviously it's a bit of time difference, but. Still, it's a bit of an annoying one to, to watch as a fan if you've got to get dragged into a meeting or something at work on a Friday afternoon or Friday evening, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, I'll have to try and watch it when I'm at work, so that's annoying. Um, but yeah, I suppose you get this in France, don't you? You often have the funny kickoff times, but uh, it's still on BT, so if you do have access to a BT-enabled TV somewhere, whether you're at work or sitting at home, then obviously you can put it on and give it a watch. Well, I guess, yeah, you can always... Try and catch up the highlights or whatever if you, if you can't manage the full thing. In terms of Castro, how do you see a stack up? Do you think roughly the same starting 15? I think it's probably going to be very much the same squad, if I'm honest. Yeah, I think it's going to be, isn't it? Um, barring any injuries in the meantime between Cardiff and Castro. Um, it's hard one to call. I think Castro on doing brilliant in um, the top 14. But I think Castro can be one of these sort of funny teams that on their day can be very, very good. I mean, they've had pedigree in the Heineken Cup recent years. Um, I think they're, they're probably underperforming in the league. And I think going away to Castro 
is going to be, and to get anything from that might be with the squad that we're probably going to have, it's going to be a big ask, I think. Um, but you never know. I mean, as we said, if we replicate the first half and the second half, we came close and we could have, you know, quite foreseeably beaten what was a near full strength, good Cardiff team. So you never know. I think we can go there reasonably optimistic and, and kind of hope for the best, really. Yeah, they also got beaten last week. They got thrashed 39-15 by Ospreys. So um, I guess if you look at the form book, we might be in with a chance because I don't think Ospreys are particularly any better than Cardiff at the minute. So fingers crossed if we can but in a good performance, then we can come away with something. Yeah, I mean, also, of course, with bench teams, they never travel very well. Um, so at home, it may, well, Castro at home, it could be a lot harder competition than obviously the reverse fixture. But um, yeah, as I say, we've got a chance. They're not playing brilliant at the moment, but with the squad we've got, you never know, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, it'll be interesting how they managed to get out there, because I, I know that when we played um, Toulon, there were all sorts of issues with transport and various fans, etc., and um, obviously when we went to Jersey last year, once again, even worse issues then. And I don't know if there's a, I don't know even where you fly to. Would you fly to Montpellier or Marseille or somewhere? Uh, I suppose you have to. You have to fly to one of the, one of the biggest South of France airports. I don't know if they, and presumably they'll be able to charter a, pl- a flight somewhere. Maybe there's a, a more a smaller local, uh, more local airport. But uh, I mean, well, there's no fans this year, is there? So as long as a team get there, that's the important thing. Exactly, exactly. So if we kind of think about Europe in general, we just mentioned um, Toulon last year. I think that's probably my favourite rugby weekend of my whole life, that one. Brilliant from start to finish. As a city, it's fantastic. The rugby ground's right in the middle of it. You've got the port in the sunshine, um, a few beers, the players' families knocking about. There's good travelling contingent. I just think that was all in my my best rugby weekend. How about you? Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. I mean, it was, it was wonderful, wasn't it? Um, I mean, not just the, the incredible result, but as you say, the, the company in the city really made it as well. Um, I think other European memories, um, especially ones that I've seen live, if I go way back in time, I mean, some of our listeners probably do remember in 2001 beating Toulouse in what was our first ever go in the Heineken Cup. Uh, I think it was our 44-6 or something, or 42-9, we really put Toulouse away. Um, and then in 2004, we also beat Perpignan at home, which called Perpignan at the time were a real European powerhouse, struggling in the doldrums of French lower divisions at the moment. But at the time, that was a superb result. Um, yeah, you mentioned Toulon, and even the week later, where the fantastic last-minute try, uh, well, last play of the game try against Home de Montpellier, so yeah, you had a European ecstasy two weekends in a row, didn't you, a couple of years ago? Yeah, of course. And obviously, um, another one that could have potentially been a good one but turned out not so good was Edinburgh last or two years ago. Um, I know you went up there. I unfortunately didn't. But that had everything. Well, if you if you looked at it on paper, it's a great chance to, to go away, enjoy a weekend in a nice city, and then it didn't really happen on the pitch, did it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, we were really looking forward to going to Edinburgh. As you said, I was, I was, well, I was say lucky enough to go. It was the occasion because even though at that time we were struggling in the league, we weren't quite as cut off at that stage. Uh, we were top of our European group, I believe, and 
you know, we thought it was a great going to be a great day out in Edinburgh, but instead of a really nice city, go and see Falcons at Murrayfield and the Channel Hiking Cup. You know, it's going to be really good. Have a really good chance of winning. But of course, thanks to the powers that be not allowing us to have a emergency prop and just oh, completely yeah, ruin, ruin the game. Absolutely, I just completely ruin the. And of course, since then they've allowed the you know they've allowed I've come with me. I think maybe in Gloucester or someone since then had the same problem and they allowed them absolutely fine so you know so it's always it's always one rule for some one rule for another but yeah i mean on the face of it that was going to be a great day out but it actually turned out the weather was terrible as well it was absolutely bloody freezing as well yeah so it turned out to be a bit of a damp squid disappointment really i mean not the falcons fault i thought on the night considering um the issues in terms of the we had a front row they actually played really well and we were leading at half time but it was just disappointing we were essentially cheated out of that which was a shame really I I also remember um, Adam Radwan made a good 40-yard run or so and got held up probably about 10 metres short. I think if he'd managed to scamper over there, two things would have happened. We might have ended up winning the match, but we also might have lost Adam Radwan because everyone might have realised quite how good he was. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I remember that because uh, obviously we were sitting next to some Edinburgh fans and they were lamenting the fact they certainly that season they never actually won any games and I think that was their first win of course or something all season um, at least well definitely in Europe and uh, they were saying oh who, who's that who's that winger you got there you know it's really fast and I was like oh yeah Radwan you know young breakthrough player uh, as, as we've said I mean there were moments in that game as well where I think we if something had kind of gone our way we possibly could have gone away with something and as I've said we were leading half time but it's just you know cheated out to cheat out of it wasn't to be also I think we got thrashed by St- Stade Francais once, which um, probably wasn't the, the best European performance in history. Yeah, well, I again, I remember that. I never actually went, but I remember watching it on the TV. Where uh, that was the 2004 season, where I think we were so pleased to just get to the quarter-final stage um, that we kind of just didn't bother turning up. Really, we kind of thought the job was done in that regard. Um, and Stade Francais actually made a real occasion of it, and it was played at Parc de Prince, uh, Paris Saint-Germain's ground. And yeah, I think it was slaughtered. I mean, maybe about 50 nil or something. It was absolutely humiliating. And, um, you know, what a shame to to end what at the time, what was a really exciting European campaign. As I said, that was the season we beat uh, Perpignan as well. So to just end it like that, that was a, that was a real shame. Yeah, I think another couple of honourable mentions are the uh, Challenge Cup semi for Parker Penshield, as it was called then, semi-final defeat to Harlequins at Headingley and the week after we'd beaten them in the... Uh, in the cup at Twickenham. So that was a bit of a come down a week later. And another honourable mention goes to some of you may remember, um, I think it was the same season or maybe the season before where we beat Cross Keys um, 99-8, I believe. Um, and a lot of you remember that back in the day, didn't have any of this fancy modern electronic scoreboard. It was a man who used to replace the cards in the corner of the, the North Stand. And there was only enough room for two digits. So as Mulder got ready to take a conversion to, at the very end of the match, when it was 99-0, we were sat there wondering what's going to happen with them. Well, stood there, sorry, very few seats back then. Stood there thinking, what's going to happen with the scoreboard? And what are they going to do? They're going to have to put a, you know, zero two at the end or something. And of course, he missed it, and there wasn't enough time to get any more points. And opportunity of lifetime was ruined. And even to this day, I still think it still gets to me that one. I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of other elderly or Falcons fans can maybe think of that one as well as one that got away. There'd probably be a hole in the ground where Kingston Park used to be when it didn't quite work and all just all exploded or something. Um, but there we go. Other results this week. It's very strange the way this whole 
draw works, isn't it? So if we just remind you, there is a sort of a league of 14 teams. Each team plays two other teams twice, but you're not in a mini pool. So we're playing Castra and Cardiff. And then, for example, Castra are playing us and Ospreys. So it's, it's everyone plays another team or another two teams twice to make up your four fixtures. Out of your four games, you obviously end up with a maximum of four wins or 20 points with bonus points, where you can obviously end up with zero. And then they, they rank you all in the, in the league of 14. And then the top eight proceed, and then the, the bottom six uh, get knocked out. So it's pretty hard to say whereabouts we'll all end up, but um, that's how it all works. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit like musical chairs, isn't it? Because I think all we can do is just try and win as many games as we can and see where we end up and see who we play, I suppose. Yes, so in said table, we're currently in 10th position after one game, so you can't really read too much into it. London Irish at the top with five. Actually, quite a few teams are on top with five. There's London Irish, Benetton... Ospreys and Leicester. Leicester actually got another quite good victory. At the bottom, it was obviously their opponents in reverse order, with being, again, Castro, Stade Francais and Brief. So there's four French teams propping up everybody else, which is quite amusing in certain respects. Um, so, yes, we're due to play um, Castro twice, and obviously we've played um, once already against Cardiff Blues, and we've got another one remaining. Scores at the weekend. So we'll start off with the, the Challenge Cup, the important one that we're in. So Stade Francais... Uh, lost 20 points to 44 against Benetton or uh, Treviso as they're sometimes known. Um, Leicester Tigers came away 39-17 victors of Breve. Zebra drew 25 all with Bayonne. Again lost 8-34 to London Irish. Ospreys as we just said um, won quite heavily against Castra 39-15. Pau beat Worcester 24-20 which I think was quite a good game. Um, so I saw a brief match report. I haven't seen the footage but apparently it was quite exciting. Um, and then in the Champions Cup I what used to be called the Heineken Cup. Um, it might be called the Heineken Champions Cup now, I don't actually know. Northampton, uh, they lost uh, 12-16 to Bordeaux. Ulster lost 29-22 to Toulouse. Bath lost 19-23 to Scarlets. Toulon beat Sale 26-24. Dragons 8, Wasps 24. Montpellier 14, Leinster 35. Edinburgh 8, La Rochelle 13. And Bristol 38, Claremont or Vern, 51. That was an absolute cracker. I'm not sure if you had a chance to see it. Leon absolutely thrashed Gloucester, 55-10. I don't know quite know what's going on down there. Exeter, once again, very competently put away. Glasgow, 42 points to nil. Racing, 92, beat Connaught, 26-22. And finally, Munster beat Harlequins, 21 points to seven. For, for those who haven't seen... Um, the Northampton-Bordeaux game. I urge you to see Bordeaux's try at the end, and it's a lesson to anyone to keep playing until the whistle goes or the ball goes out of play, because uh, Bordeaux's try was it was a penalty to Bordeaux. Bordeaux fly half, hit the post, bounced, of course, on the ground, and then Northampton were completely ball-watching, sort of saying to each other, well, who's going to pick up that ball? And the Bordeaux player dives in and scores a winning try. So there's a lesson to you all. Play till it goes dead. Exactly. One other thing this week that's happened, um, we're probably going to end up releasing this one a day later. Sorry, everybody, for keeping you on tenterhooks. The reason is because we've waited until the Rugby World Cup draw has been made. Um, that happened this morning, today being Monday. Um, as it stands, things look quite good from an England perspective. Um, we're, we've ended up in... Pool D. Um, the way the draw works is you've got your you've got different pots of teams based upon their world rank. So they had the uh, the top twelve 
teams in the world ranked in three pots kind of your, your really goods your goods and your okays and then you've got your other ones that end up qualifying so um there are four pools and they have four in each pot so in your really good pot you had new zealand south africa wales and england in your good pot you had your france ireland australia and japan and then in your kind of okay pot you had italy scotland fiji and argentina i think argentina can feel a bit aggrieved at their pot but the well i believe how it worked was it was done by your performance in the last world cup so you have the semi-finalists in one pot qualifiers in one pot then the next best in the group you know the third pot and you know going down to the very bottom oh so that's why it wasn't on world rankings it was no uh, no i think because of the coronavirus and the fact you've had teams like South Africa who haven't played and, and whatnot it wasn't fair to base it on world ranking so they just did it via the last world cup which I, I guess is kind of fair enough given that what was it a year ago um, yeah well that's why you have Wales in the top four seeds which of course if you base on world rankings just wouldn't happen would it at the moment exactly so um in Pool A, you've got New Zealand, France, Italy, America 1 and Africa 1 maybe in the qualifiers so that'll probably end up with USA or Canada and Namibia um Pool B, you've got South Africa, Ireland, Scotland, Asia-Pacific 1 and Europe 2. So you'll probably end up with a Tonga or Samoa there. And Europe 2 is probably going to end up being Georgia or Romania. Pool C, you've got Wales, Australia, Fiji, Europe 1 and another qualifier winner. So that'll be your Tonga or Samoa that wasn't in Pool B, as well as Europe 1, which will be probably the other one of Romania or Georgia. Um, in Pool D, you've got England, Japan, Argentina, Oceania 1, and America's 2. So America's 2 will end up being your one of Canada and America that weren't already in. And your Oceania 1. Well, that's what's in the won't it? Yeah, but then we've ended up with... See, yeah, sorry, the, the final qualifier winner in Pool C will end up being your miscellaneous Uruguay or whoever. Yeah, exactly, something like that. So England's Group D, England, Japan, Argentina and two qualifiers um everyone said that's quite an easy draw and i think we'll definitely go through first or second but it's not an easy group um you could end up with the oceana team beating seven shades of you know what out of you and being quite a burden on a busy world cup schedule um japan as we know a very capable team and then argentina i think we don't know how it'll be in a couple of years time but the way they're going they're going to be a, a very good outfit well there's two teams there which yeah they're not the traditional big names in terms of going far in a world cup though i suppose Argentina, Japan have done it a couple of times, haven't they? But um, there's lots of banana skin potential there for England, isn't there? But yeah, it's hard to tell in a couple of years' time how good those teams will be, or indeed how good England are going to be. But what we do know is that Japan and Argentina do turn up for World Cups, whether you know they, they put in a good show in the group stage or indeed they go well into the knockout stages. Um, but yeah, I, as you said, I think we should have the quality to probably top that group, and I would expect us to beat Argentina, Japan, even if they are difficult games. Um, I don't think it should be any problems. It makes a nice change to see England in a decent group this time and not in a group of death. Pool C, I think everyone's going to expect Wales and Australia to go through first and second. The order's potentially up to dispute, but I think it'll probably end up being Australia that go through top of that one. Well, what about Fiji? Fiji will play some nice rugby. Fiji will play some nice rugby as they always do, but unfortunately they just don't have the discipline or squad strength or depth to quite pull through. Um, Pool B will be an interesting one. I think South Africa will go through top, but Ireland and Scotland could be a potentially um, interesting match because those two clubs or those two um, countries seem to go through peaks and troughs of form, and I think that. 80% 80% of the time Ireland will win. If Scotland are in a, a peak and Ireland is in a trough, there's every chance that Scotland could turn Ireland over. It just depends quite how each squad is when they're going into that tournament. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's so hard to call that one. I think, as you say, 
well, eight times out of ten is a fair enough ratio, you would say Ireland, but who knows in over two and a half years' time. And then Italy must be sick of this. They end up with New Zealand again. They Yes, Italy are Italy, but they always seem to end up with terrible draws, and they've got New Zealand and France in their group. They may as well not bother turning up. Last Rugby World Cup, the world rugby body just said, well, New Zealand would have beaten you anyway, so we're not going to bother playing your last match. So they may as well just not bother turning up for that game, because or the World Cup in general, because it's just not fair on them, it would seem. Well, at least well, they don't have to travel this time, do they? Well, true, yeah. Of course, it's in France, so we shouldn't get any hurricanes or anything calling off proceedings this time. We can actually go a bit further than just the groups. If we start guessing who's going to come top and bottom of each group, or top and second, I should say, we'll end up with probably England versus... Supposing England win the group and Wales come second, it'll be an England-Wales quarter-final, and... It'll probably end up with a Australia-Argentina quarterfinal. The other quarterfinals will probably end up being New Zealand winning their group, playing, I think, probably Ireland. Um, so they probably won't be too pleased with the draw. And then France will end up coming second in that group, probably against South Africa. So that could be an absolute cracker, that quarterfinal. Um, you then get in the funny stage where groups start crossing over. So we're working on the premise that England win their quarterfinal probably against Wales we will then most likely be up against New Zealand in the semi-final which we did it last time I don't see why we can't beat them again easy peasy on the other side Australia will presume are going to end up beating Japan and we'll assume that South Africa end up beating France potentially not but you'll end up with Australia versus South Africa or France in that semi-final so then you've either got the winner of England New Zealand versus Australia, South Africa or France. So I think it'll probably be an England versus South Africa final again. Chance for some revenge, I suppose, or never chance to flop. Well, they've beaten us twice in finals, haven't they? So third time lucky. Yeah, something like that. (laughs) I think that rounds it all up, Ian, don't you? Yeah, I think that's everything for this week. Thanks for listening, everybody, and speak to you again next week. Goodbye. Bye, everyone.